So our speaker this evening is uh, Taranea. She's um, been offering instruction in Theravadan Buddhist um, teachings and practices since 1990. Uh, she's a student of uh, Western um, Forest Sangha, the disciples of Ajahn Chah and Ajahn Sumedho, and is a lay Buddhist minister associated with the Abhayagiri Forest Monastery in California. She's been, she served as a resident teacher um, at the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts from 1996 to 1999. And she's currently uh, teaching at the Barrie Center for Buddhist Studies and also in Dharma Centers uh, in the United States. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Uram damang sangang namasami. So oh, always nice to be here with this group. <laughs> I do enjoy coming to California. I had the good fortune of coming a couple times a year for a few years, and now it seems to be reduced to just once, but I'm always glad to come by and meet with this community and give um, Gil a little uh, relief, a little time off for vacation as well. So uh, it serves a dual purpose. And tonight I have, uh, oh, you always rack my brain about what to talk about, but I just kind of go with what's up for me in my life and my practice and hope that um, in some way, uh, either a combination of that and maybe a little bit of intuiting what, what's going on with all of us as human beings, <laughs> you know, can, uh, I can offer some things that are helpful. So tonight um, I wanted to look at this whole question of, of suffering, uh, insight into suffering. Uh, this can, I think it's really tricky. It can be a really tricky thing to come to understand what the Buddha is saying, uh, particularly in the Four Noble Truths, where he's saying that there is suffering, that it has a cause, that it can end, and that there's a way to the end of it. Uh, and just what he means by all of this, because uh, it's certainly subject to at least a lot of confusion, if not outright misunderstanding. Um, and it takes, at least for myself, I know it took me many years just to begin to get some inklings um, as to the subtlety of what this teaching is about and the subtlety of the experience that he's trying to point us to. So I wanted to uh, talk about um, a discussion that I had recently um, with um, uh, some of the nuns in a community of uh, laywomen at Chithurst uh, Forest Monastery in um, in England. I usually go um, and spend a couple of months a year uh, just living with the, the nuns in that community and uh, um, there's a, a lot of really neat things about doing this. You know, if you have time and can spend time um, with these uh, monastic communities, their, their way of life brings many, many rich um, 
uh, teachings, you know, uh, to both, both directly and indirectly, just kind of plugging in to what the Buddha set up as a lifestyle can be very helpful, let alone actually interacting with people who, in many ways, I consider kind of professionals in this area, you know, living their whole lives um, around the practice and trying to understand things. Well, one of the things that we do um, uh, at the, in the nuns community is every week um, we have this little gathering on Friday afternoon that uh, we call um, ladies' tea <laughs> or nuns' tea or whatever. It's kind of like, it's not unlike this gathering right here tonight, only it's a much smaller scale. There's probably about 10 of us uh, sitting together and uh, it's a, a, a wonderful environment. Um, where this little cottage that the nuns live in um, uh, is kind of like a little hobbit hut. You know, it was uh, built in the uh, early 19th century and has that feel, you know, very thick walls and very cozy, you know, where you can see where people used to use the fireplace to cook their meals and and what have you. So uh, we gather on the floor in the living room, which is, you know, probably all of about maybe 13 by 12 (laughs) room, you know, uh, and uh, pass around the tea and uh, everybody gets comfortable. It's very cozy, very quaint. Um, It's all done in a spirit of um, uh, spiritual uh, companionship, spiritual camaraderie. Let's get together and um, if nothing else, just be together as Dhamma friends. So a lot of the time, the uh, things that we talk about are just maybe newsy, you know, catching up on what's going on in each other's lives and enjoying that kind of um, friendship um, uh, with people who are devoted to Dhamma as well. But the idea is really to sort of bring to the table um, things that are going on in our lives. and. Um, the nuns will make themselves available then to help us process it, <laughs> to help us look at it in a way through the eyes of Dhamma. You know, to, we're so patterned and so conditioned to try to cope with uh, life's situations um, through mechanisms and uh, means, conditioning, that it isn't always effective, you know. And uh, I don't know about you, but for me, it's taken me many years just to try to think in, in Buddhist language, you know, to try to come at things through the eyes of the Buddhist teachings. And uh, this particular uh, setup is very, very helpful for doing that. So this, uh, this one uh, Friday afternoon, um, the, the troops gathered, and, and this uh, one woman came in, and she was obviously distressed. Uh, but, um, you know, we took our time to relax and settle and pass the tea around and what have you before we, you know, one of the nuns has said, okay, so what's up, you know, uh, what do you want to talk about this week? And so then the, you could see this one was just ready to blurt out. <laughs> you know, she just really needed help and wanted to talk, you know. So out came this um, very distressed uh, uh, situation. Um, in her life where she was, um, it was a work situation where um, somebody, apparently, I don't even remember all the details of it, but it was one of those things where somebody in a position of power um, and authority was uh, making a lot of decisions unilaterally and uh, just big decisions that affected a lot of people's lives in negative ways, you know, harmful ways and not including them, not inviting any kind of debate or discussion about it, you know? Well, I mean, 
have you ever been in a situation like that? <laughs> you know, it's, it's not pleasant, you know. Um, and uh, how how to cope with it, how to deal with it. So, uh, you know, she was, as I said, she was obviously very distressed. And um, as she explained it, you could see all the rest of us just, you know, wanting to get in on it and wanting to um, uh, come up with ideas and things to do, how to how to deal with it, you know. So, you know, we did that. That's almost the first immediate response that we come up with when somebody has a problem, isn't it? It's like, you know, you, you, you just, uh, well, have you tried this and have you tried that? And, you know, the kinds of solutions that we were coming up with were things like, like, for example, she felt that she had no allies. She felt nobody felt the same way that she did. Um, she was aware, for example, that what was making it very even more stressful was that a lot of people were sort of backbiting and, uh, you know, forming little cliques and uh, going on about um, uh, sort of building their case and, uh, you know, just getting all caught up in the dilemma. Uh, a lot of, you know, behind the, behind the scenes. And this was all uh, very, very difficult for her. So she just, you know, assumed that she, she just didn't, you know, didn't have anybody in the situation that felt the same that she did and really could uh, begin to address it. So anyway, so we started with that and we said, well, you know, maybe there's somebody, you know, you could write a letter, you could do emails, you know, all this kind of thing. Or, or maybe you could, you know, have you tried going over their head, you know, talk to the boss, talk to the person that's responsible for it for them or, you know, is there a board of directors? What kind of procedures do you have for grievances, you know? And, and then uh, we, you know, came to like, um, uh, maybe you could form a committee, you know? <laughs> maybe you could gather people together and, and do something on that level, you know? And it was, it was kind of like this feeling, like once we got to the point where we're forming a committee, we knew we were going down the wrong track. <laughs> you know, the feeling, as you, as you, I'm sure you can relate, of all of these remedies, these solutions, these approaches, and um, every one of them, they all, have, you, they all leave you flat, or they're not getting at it. You know, you can feel it. They're not getting at it. They're going to get at something. And they're going to uh, engage us in a lot of activity and a lot of um, dealing, coping with the problem. But are they getting at the heart of the suffering in this in this situation? You know. So, uh, you know, at that point, you could feel we had kind of exhausted a lot of those sort of worldly remedies, and um, there was this long silence then. Uh, and uh, it was almost as if, like, in the silence, we were getting a grip, you know, <laughs> and, and trying to remember what the Buddha taught us. And then somebody um, spoke up and said, well, now this is it, isn't it? Yeah. This, is, this is just what the Buddha is talking about in the First Noble Truth. There is difficulty. You know, and we recall this litany that he puts forth in that, in that first noble truth, that we have to associate with things that we don't like. We're going to be separated from things that we like. And uh, we can't always get what we want. 
Now that's the language. That's the, the words of the Buddha. That's the language of the first noble truth, you know. And, and so with that, with just putting that on, on the table and in the mix, there, there was this, uh, you could feel the whole energy in the room just shift. You know, this, this is the way it is. It's like this sometimes in life. And I, for myself, I had this feeling like sort of like being on an elevator where, you know, it starts to go down just a little bit too fast. You know, you're woof. And, and all this heady cerebral energy that's trying to do it right and get it right and fix it and make the world a more pleasant place, the kind of stuff that has us all completely exhausted with life, you know, <laughs> this, this, uh, some, there's something that we can do to make it not be this way, you know, that kind of energy that you could feel that just drop out of the room completely. It was like a stud, you know. And then this, this woman, it, like it, it really got her. It went, it went right to the heart just because there was, uh, we had exhausted all this other stuff and there was this emptiness, you know, there was this space that had been created. And so it went right into her heart. And she just started to cry and cry and cry, you know, and, and just really feel the reality of the situation that she was in, you know. And, and uh, others, others of us uh, were moved in the, in the same way. Just, it, it, it was very real. It was very authentic. You know, it was like, now we're getting at the core now we're getting at the heart of the matter. Life is like this, and there are people who are very difficult. And sometimes it's us. You know? Sometimes you're the jabbie, but sometimes you're the jabber. You know? and this, is, this happened to be a moment where she was the jabbie, you know? and, and feeling that, and just letting that, feel, feel, letting that into the heart. So the, the, the teaching, you know, of the Buddha is really to get it that, that day after day, the things uh, we have to associate with things that we don't like. We'll be separated from things that we like and we won't always get what we want. This is simply the way it is. And not see, what he's getting at in this teaching is that it's the not seeing of this truth and the not just holding that, bearing it, allowing it to be that way, just feeling that, that that is the issue. The suffering or the, the conditions of life are not the issue. What happens when, is that if we don't get it that it's like this sometimes, then you move into these incredible states, which we know, we, we, I mean, we live in these states of resistance and wanting things to be some other way. So here, here's right here is where you see the, the five hindrances get engaged, you know. <laughs> you know, it's right when things are uncomfortable and unpleasant. Then, then you, you, the mind will start going into wanting things to be some other way. You know, it's like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be this way. And you can feel that scramble going on. You can feel the aversion and the resistance, you know, to the fighting. Or here comes sloth and torpor, you know, just, we just get depressed about it or bury our head in the sand, you know, or just go and sleep it off. Or, or the, you know, the, the other thing that the unawakened mind comes up with is anxiety and worry and restlessness. 
this kind of energy that she was clearly caught up in just you know going over it and over it and over it and over it and really soaking in the anxiety and creating anxiety and and soaking in that and then you know the the mental hindrance of doubt and confusion where you can spin out for hours for days for weeks just trying to figure out what to do you know and all of these are in a way they're the unawakened mind's best guess (laughs) at how to cope with um, this condition of suffering. You know, that's what, it's, it's because we don't see, it's because we don't get it that this is the way it is, that we're turning to these strategies, these apparent remedies or responses that just don't work. I mean, when did worrying ever help? You know? <laughs> when did aversion and hating the condition ever make it better? You know? or getting depressed, or burying your head in the sand, you know. It's like over and over again, the mind keeps turning to these responses. And um, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing that we, we don't seem to pick up that they don't work. <laughs> so the Buddha is trying to point us in the direction of something that actually does work. Uh, instead of making things work uh, worse, how can we how can we make things better? So Buddha is wanting us to open to this truth of difficulty. So this is what we did, you know, in this um, gathering. And as I said, the the woman uh, the woman who had the issue just started to cry and and. Uh, feel the pain of the situation that life brings. It certainly, we comforted her. It's not to say that you just stand back. I mean, uh, you can feel actually in the direct experience of opening to the truth of difficulty. You can feel like that, that opening to the truth of difficulty is wisdom. That is understanding. And you could feel very directly how it is that wisdom and compassion are constant companions. They, they're, they're, they're right together. They're always right together. You know, when, when we, there is the wisdom to know the way things are and to open to the way things are, then right away there's compassion. You know, so the, the, the automatic response to uh, suffering then is to hold somebody in it, you know, to comfort them in it. And so this is this is uh, this was uh, part of the experience of our afternoon. Just getting in touch with that. You know, this is the truth. People treat us badly. You know, there there is difficulty. And this is really why we have the precepts. Why the you know the precepts are so important because they're uh, uh, trying to help us all to at least try to diminish the amount of harm that we do to ourselves and each other so that we're not uh, fabricating difficulty, you know, increasing the, the harm that's done in our lives and with other people. But the truth is, and I think this is what has to be understood, is that even with all of that kind of effort, even with the precepts, there is always going to be harm. There is always going to be difficulty. And we have to get that. It could sound so heavy, <laughs> so morbid, and so morose. Uh, 
but uh, it's an amazing thing what happens when the heart acknowledges and receives this simple truth. It's like uh, it, all of the resistance and the fighting and the contracting. I mean, we live in we live in a headache. You know, we live in this constant state of wanting it to be some other way. You know, all of that can be released through the months and years of practice. You just whew, you can just feel the release, the letting go. The whole system can un- loosen up and stop being so contracted. And sometimes I find uh, when looking at difficulties in my life that uh, if I can just get to this point that sometimes that's all we need to do. It's, a, it's, an, it's uncanny, but sometimes just nailing it that, oh, <laughs> it's like this. There is this difficulty is, is enough to sort of burst the whole bubble of added suffering and difficulty. You know, can you feel that? It's like you just, you just enter and you go, oh, <laughs> I get it. You know, I'm not awake. The world isn't awake and, and we're just constantly jabbing each other. You know, just, that's the way it is. And we're doing the best we can. But this is, the, this is the condition that we find ourselves in. So you have a good cry and if you're like me, you might kick in a few walls or something, you know, occasionally with some of the difficulties. But at least one is being, being real and authentic and acknowledging the way that things are. So for myself, it, it took me many, many years, I think, to begin to get it, that insight into dukkha was not going to be fun. <laughs> that, that, that there's a, there's a, an opening, at least a, a period of time, where um, this uh, experience of letting oneself feel the pains of life, feel the difficulty of having to associate with things we don't like and be separated from things that we, we like, that that, 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 that what, you know, everything that was preventing me from doing that before, that that experience of resisting that, that was worse than letting go of that and actually just feeling it. And that, yeah, there's hurt and it's not fun. And, and it, it's not like all of a sudden you're going to get to a place where um, the jabs of life, uh, are, you become very neutral about them. I don't think that happens. I think that uh, you actually continue to um, feel the ouches. But what you increase is the capacity to just say, ouch. <laughs> when it hurts, and let it be. You know, the, the good news is that dukkha isn't the only um, characteristic of life. There's also impermanence. <laughs> so, so whatever it is, it's going to move, <laughs> you know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to move on through, you know. But the, it's like waves, you know. You, you, just, it's, you reach this peak and then it, it goes down, and then it comes up and then it goes down. And, you know, you start to, I think, at least for myself, I start to experience practice as like an opening um, to the, the rhythm, the waves of life, the, the pleasures and the pains, and, and, and it's all okay. You know, it's, it's suddenly, I don't know about you, but I, I feel through the months and years of practice that I'm just so much more alive. <laughs> you know, this is life. This is the way that it is, and there's no fighting it and no resisting it, no wanting it to be some other way. 
So the insight cuts through a lot of this reactive patterns. You know, once, once we get insight into dukkha, then the five hindrances don't have a leg to stand on. There's no, they, they, they have no basis. You know, they, they, they can't um, react. They can't um, have a life in the presence of wisdom and understanding. And, you know, that, that understanding can be a little hard one. And I think we have to get that, you know, but there is difficulty in life. So just uh, back to our little group, there was, at this point, there was kind of a, uh, a long silence uh, another long silence in the room, and we're just kind of soaking in this uh, realization. And it's unsettling. At least we found it unsettling, you know. Uh, and what came up out of the silence was some obvious questions that I think uh, any reasonable person would ask, which is that, you know, it, what's the, is the Buddha saying that you don't do anything about difficulty? You know, it, it, what about that? Um, you know, is, he, is, is this a teaching that says roll over, you know, wake up and be miserable, you know, <laughs> roll over and be a doormat, you know, or just um, accept that this is the way that it is and there's nothing that you could do about it, you know? And I, I think it's, it's good to reflect on that. Uh, I, I expect that many of you have that same question, you know? Is that what he's saying? You know, and I think that um, there, clearly he's not saying that. It misses the subtlety of the, the teaching. What he's getting at is kind of is, is trying to get us to a place where we remove that reactivity, that reactive patterning, so that what you're left with is the condition. And when you can feel the condition and there isn't any resistance to it, then you're much better equipped to deal with it, to address it, or not. It doesn't matter. As I said, sometimes just feeling things is enough. And you, you find you don't really want to address it. The practice is always what's going on here in this heart and how I'm working with that. So you, definitely you do that. But then, um, you know, there's a lot in the teachings. Certainly uh, practices around kindness, practices around compassion, and comforting each other in the difficulty, comforting ourselves in the difficulty. Um, so, you know, he's not saying, he's not, he's not sidestepping that question altogether. But I think in a way, it's really that the Buddhist teaching is almost as if he doesn't get involved in the details of that level of activity. Just trying to get us to um, feel the truth of difficulty. And once you do that, then what to do about the conditions of the situations of one's life. It's almost like it takes care of itself. At least that's been my experience. You know, you, find a, you finally sort of go, oh, okay, well, that's not a good way to be. I need to address this with that person, you know. Or this is, this is untenable. So I, I, um, let's, let's get together and talk about it. You know, you get this much more level-headed, uh, clear-headed response. Like, it reminds me a lot of Gandhi. You know, like, can you imagine somebody just being so clear that the people in his country were being mistreated? 
that he could actually just go up to the English and say, you know, I think you should leave. You know, <laughs> this isn't working. <laughs> you know, and that they did. You know, <laughs> without a lot of violence. You know, it was like uh, amazing. But that's that's the kind of um, response that is possible through um, getting it that there is difficulty and that this is harmful, you know, that kind of thing. It's interesting. A number of years ago, I used to work, uh, I I helped to to form, I didn't didn't actually work in it, but I helped to to form a battered women's shelter. And um, one of the things that always came up in in that was, uh, you know, we were talking about it um, with people was, you know, well, well, why do women stay in that situation? And um, certainly it's very complex and uh, I don't want to, uh, make diminish it, uh, diminish their suffering, or, or try to oversimplify it. But one of the things that we saw consistently was that um, there was a way that they just didn't accept that it was even happening. You know, uh, they would explain away behaviors and um, uh, try to fix it in their minds, or, or ignore it, or deny it in one way or another. And it was always a breakthrough transition for these women when they just got to the place where they went, wow, you know, this is not good. I'm, I'm being mistreated, you know, feeling that and get, letting in the truth of the experience that they found themselves in. And then you could you know, always, it seemed, after that kind of breakthrough, they were, there were some shifts, there were some actions that could be taken. And it was always a lot more clear-headed, you know, um, and uh, effective. So, uh, you know, I don't think in any way the Buddha is saying don't do anything about it. As I said, I don't. I think it's more like he just doesn't get involved at that level. Just as practitioners, our job is to get it to the point where, uh, in the situations that we find ourselves, that uh, our first line of defense, if you will, our first response, is to open to and receive and allow how this situation feels what and what and then you can investigate and explore put some uh, flesh on the bone of what's going on with us but at least um, then we're kind of like turning around and facing the monster you're not picking up these uh, habitual uh, foolish reactive patterns of greed hatred and delusion you know just actually um, getting somewhere with not only with the condition but with the experience of insight. This is a fact of human existence. Can we get that? And can we allow it to be in our lives? And then and then feel the amazing shift that that makes in our psyche. It, it's like uh, it, it, at least removing that layer of mental torment that is resisting and fighting and not wanting it to be that way, you know, at least that much. Then you're really positioned for uh, even deeper insight into the truth of um, the way things are. So I think uh, all in all, the, the Buddha is just really trying to get us to relieve some of the stress in our lives, you know, 
um, just uh, get us to admit that that life is like this. And um, just releasing at least this level of psychological suffering so that we can receive life. And as I said, and and, uh, I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts on it too. I mean, don't you find uh, that the process of waking up uh, is bringing bringing about a a much greater happiness, a sense of well-being in our lives? It's so ironic that a lot of that is coming from opening to the truth of suffering. (laughs) It's wild, isn't it? So these are, these are some thoughts I have on, on the subject. I wanted to leave some time if people have some comments or, or questions of your own. I hope some of this is, is useful and I suspect you have some ideas as well. Yeah? I just said I think I do. Whenever I feel the pain, it may be pain, very painful at the time. Um, but when I'm there with it and I feel it, yeah. Um, you know, it, I don't have to do anything else, yes. like go eat or go do this or that. Yeah, is that exactly. But it's very hard to to stay there sometimes. Yeah, and then and uh, she's saying and it's very. It can be hard to stay there. Like you want to open to the feeling, but it's hard to stay there. And so this is this is a good point and um, uh, really uh, brings home the importance of the daily uh, meditation practice either in the formal practice or throughout the course of the day, that just consider part of what's being done, part of the training that's taking place in our sitting. You know, that simple experience of coming back to the settled feeling, coming back to the breath. We're actually training the mind in that. It's no small thing to um, stay with things as they are, (laughs) to stop running off to um, other um, uh, either thoughts or ideas or conditions or reactive patterns, you know, doing something about what's happening instead of just being in what's happening. So that there's, uh, you know, it can really, uh, I mean, through the years of my own practice, I know I've increased over the years this healthy respect and uh, uh, for the um, daily sitting practice. You know, what that's doing from my mind, (laughs) Just, just helping me to stay with things as they are. And the, the other point you're making about it, you know, being maybe hard to bear. But it's interesting, to I've watched that in my mind too, that the, the bit in the mind that's saying, I can't bear this, you know, the, the one that's going crazy. You know, have a look at that one. <laughs> it's so interesting because it's, um, it's like you can actually see um, self-view in that moment. You know, it's like you're, you actually are bearing it. We actually already are bearing it, but there's this, there's a, a notion in there that is just a reactive pattern that's trying to get away from it, and it comes out in this kind of voice, you know, oh, I can't bear it, <laughs> you know, but you are bearing it, and if you weren't, you know, it, it'd kill you, and you wouldn't care, you know, <laughs> it's fine, you know, we're doing fine with this stuff. What else? Any thoughts? Yes. It sort of seems as though the um, 
that act of separating the simple truth of suffering from the proliferation of thoughts is an important part of the process because so much of the suffering is just the wonderful way in which we embroider. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's like um, uh, that old, what's that Woody, Woody Allen saying? <laughs> he says it's like just getting reduced to... Uh, get rid of the, the man-made torment and just go settle for ordinary everyday suffering. You know, that, that that's that's basically a lot of what the practice is doing is is uh, uh, relinquishing the reactive bit that is a lot of our uh, uh, suffering, the mental torment, psychological torment, and just getting with the ordinary birth, sickness, aging, and death associating with things we don't like, being separated from what we like and not getting what we want, you know, <laughs> that ordinary, everyday suffering. <laughs> yeah, um, just today I had a situation where uh, someone had committed to taking care of my dog for a week. I'm leaving town. And I got over there, and it turns out that he could not keep the dog where he was. Someone else wow. told me that. And where I'm at now versus a couple of years ago is I didn't really expect whether or not the dog was going to get to stay or not, so I wasn't upset. So it was really the expectation of while I was going over there and I was told it was going to work out. When I got there, I, I really did not have an expectation one way or another. Mm -hmm. And then a half an hour later, I found out that I can't even go on the trip the day that <laughs> I was told this is today that I was going to be able to go. And I was like, oh. Well, okay, that's no problem. Now I can do this, this, and this because I'll be in town. That's great. And so it's really letting go of that expectation. And um, someone shared with me the idea of coming over to IMC and not expecting it to be here or not. Yeah. That, <laughs> that it could burn down. And if I was expecting yeah. it to be here, then I'm setting myself up for a reaction one way or another. It's not that I don't want it to be here. I mean, I don't yeah. want it to be here and all those things. But it's really that expectation no, I, I, level is mm -hmm. there's a subtlety to it that if something happens, I'm open to, hey, exactly. it happened. And so just the whole fighting it. And I almost enjoy it because now the situation with the dog is going to be even better. Yeah. We're going to have someone come stay where we live, someone who we love. And so it's just going to be great. Yeah. And, and yeah. so it turned out to be better. That's great. No, I mean, I, your point as well. I love that. I mean, that's, that's just part of the fruits of practice. And, you know, whereas the old way, you know, it would be like you could, you could worry and go nuts about that. And it doesn't even go that way, you know. It's like, don't you hate it when you go crazy and it doesn't even happen, you know. It's like, or you, or you, end, you, you exhaust yourself hating somebody and you find out it wasn't even that person. It was somebody else, you know. It's like, wow, you just wasted all that energy, you know. Amazing, yeah. You want to pass that back to Yeah. Well, um, I like the fact that um, once you're focusing on the suffering, somehow you are taking yourself away from that narrow, restrained situation and connecting yourself with the suffering of the world. It's, it's just a much shorter step from yours to every break. This is how it is for yourself and for exactly. everybody else. It's a particular sort of situation that keeps you trapped in yours as opposed to others. Exactly. Especially if there is hey, some person involved like that lady 
concerned. Yes, yes. You can bring compassion, equanimity so much easier. Exactly. W- one thing I've noticed uh, in my own life and practice is that, uh, you know, in reality, there's only one mind, and the mind doesn't know self and other. So when you're really open and receptive, then um, it doesn't make any difference if it's your pain or mine. You know, it's all felt the same. And I use it, 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 it some, of, some of the more recent and very painful examples of this are like the tsunami uh, last year where, you know, look at the reactions that people had. I mean, we were devastated as if it had happened to us. And something when it's that uh, severe, it has a way of breaking through all of the usual patternings. It's so in your face. You can't um, turn, the mind won't even turn to greed, hatred, and delusion as a response because it's, it's like real, it's authentic, and you get, you get nailed with the truth of suffering. And the experience of it is, um, is uh, the same as if it yours or mine. It doesn't make any difference at that level. Can you feel that? It's, and you've, I'm sure you've seen it. You know, you can't you can't discern. Yes, one more. Uh, I work at a adolescent center where we treat substance abuse cases. And the implications of this are so huge in that field that, um, I mean, it just bounces all over the place at at every juncture how suffering is being denied. Yes. And it's compounded. Yes, exactly. And and I I have an opinion about... um, people who um, use drugs and alcohol. It's been my observation that um, really two or one, they are people that are highly, highly sensitized. They actually feel pain deeper than many of the general population but don't have the systems for coping with it. And so um, they um, turn to uh, uh, anesthetizing it. It's too great, you know. So, um, but the, you can, as you say, the implications of the Buddhist teachings for somebody like that to understand, to really get it, that um, this is that it is the way it is, and that it is bearable. You know, and it, not to diminish how painful it is, but it is bearable. And to and to as a therapy, to get them to feel the harm or the the pain that they're adding to it by the response that they're uh, picking up, choosing. Yeah, I, I remember this, a, a similar, similar thing where there was this film out a number of years ago. I think it's still going around. Uh, that was done in uh, India in the prison systems, uh, doing Vipassana, doing time. You know that one? And the, the one scene that almost everybody seems to remember from that is the, the, the point where um, the um, uh, one fella feels... It gets very deeply in touch with the the pain of the harm that he has caused, you know. And and uh, this uh, warden, the woman warden, 
who said that she actually had this revolutionary idea that to rehabilitate prisoners, that what she needed to do was to get them to that place. That the only way that they were going to um, be free um, was to really feel the pain of the harm that they have done, let alone the pain of the harm that's been done to them, but starting with that. Um, and, and that then, and only then, would they be able to be rehabilitated. You know, so her whole um, therapy, if you will, her whole approach to um, incarceration was designed to get them to that place. So, wow, what a great idea, you know. Uh, but it's not often the approach that's taken. You know? So, I hope some of this has been helpful. It's been fun for me. And uh, I look forward to seeing some of you again uh, Thursday or next Sunday, and then I'll be here again the Sunday, the Thursday after that. Okay? So, take care. Mm-hmm.